0: I discovered that most people have their own answers. They just aren't asking themselves the right questions or aren't brave enough to accept the answers that they know are right. And I don't know if there's a perfect, but there's always a better. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the right
1: approach is because when you think you have it perfect, then there's no reason to invest in being better. Welcome to the Rising Leader Podcast, bringing forth the new wave of rising leadership and helping leaders find purpose, connection, and results. This is your host, founder of Alluvians, Alex Kremer. Welcome back to the Rising Leader podcast. And if this is your first time attending the show, welcome. So glad to have you here. I hope wherever you are, if you're driving in your car, listening to this, if you're sitting in your home, better buckle up. We have an amazing Guest here on the show, one of my great friends, one of my mentors, uh, and someone who I just really admire and aspire to be like in almost every single way, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mr. Mark Costiglo. And I'll just give a quick background on on you, Mark, and then I'll let you fill in the gaps wherever I'm wrong. But I have known Mark for I think we're going on about six years now. I worked for Mark when we were at Outreach; he was the SVP of Global Sales. Fun fact about Mark, he was actually the first employee at Outreach, built that from essentially zero in revenue all the way up to approximately $250 or so more in revenue. He recently, as of about three or four months ago, started as the chief revenue officer at Catalyst, which is a customer success platform, which is doing some groundbreaking stuff within the customer success world. And beyond that, Mark is a father of four He lives in Pennsylvania. He is a person who has a deep faith and relationship with God and just greater why in terms of what are we doing here on earth and trying to make a very big impact. So Mark, I'm honored for you to be on the show and and just to spread some of this wisdom that you tend to keep locked up every once in a while.
0: Yeah, appreciate it, brother. Yeah, Alex and I have known each other for a long time. And I can tell many embarrassing stories about him. I can tell many embarrassing stories about my love of him as well. But there's just some people that you meet, Alex, and I know you feel this too, is that you just vibe like the energies on the same wavelength, the thought processes and the things that you care about are similar enough and... There's enough like difference in perspective that is interesting and it doesn't feel like you and you're learning and stuff. And you've always been that kind of person to me. You've taught me so much in our time together. And your friendship is one of the ones I've enjoyed most of my life. (laughs) <laughs> I
1: appreciate that, man.
0: This is going to be like a love fest. Do people listen to this?
1: <laughs> this is, yeah, maybe we might not need to spread this out. This will just be something that you and I can keep for each other that we can look
0: back on. <laughs> <laughs> Put it on my phone, listen to it when I'm down. <laughs>
1: oh my God. Yeah, no kidding. I think there's a couple of fun facts about you, Mark, is at least our relationship together that's good to set the scene for people is first off, when, you, when we both lived in Seattle, And you had just moved out there. We were always the first two people in the office every single day. We would get there at around 6 a.m. You'd most likely be blasting either Post Malone or some sort of (laughs) heavy music coming into the office, still dark out. And for whatever reason, we were always back to back throughout the entire day with customer facing meetings, internal meetings, you name it. And we really built out a lot of the, at least at that time, the SMB sales org at outreach. And so that 6am time was always the time when you and I actually got a chance to talk. And the Mm -hmm. amount of like deep, meaningful philosophical conversations that you and I would have at 6 a.m. I don't think that's a very common trait, I would say, amongst <laughs> people there. So you're definitely good at that. And then also, I think what's funny is whenever Mark comes out and visits New York, the Catalyst offices here in New York, Mark sleeps on my couch here in, in Greenwich Village here in Manhattan. I always ask him, I was like, hey man, if you bring your own sheets and then you got a spot to stay, I got a wonderful couch and we always had enough having a wonderful time. So that just hopefully creates an idea of what our relationship consists of right there.
0: Yeah. When I moved to Seattle, I'm not a morning person. And when you live on the East Coast, it's hard to be a super early morning person versus when you live on the West Coast. If you're up at five, it's eight on the East Coast. There's a lot of people that are up and buzzing by then. And so when I moved from Pennsylvania to Seattle, I took my whole family with me, obviously. And I never adjusted my clock. I just started getting up at 5 a.m., which actually was felt like sleeping in when I first moved out there. And I'd jump in the shower. I'd get on the road by 5.30. I'd drive my little Nissan Leaf. And I'd get in the office around six. And it was me, you, and Steve Ross mm. uh, were the three that always there. I, I'd always could tell if I was late or not because Steve Ross's car was in the parking garage and then uh, I go stairs. Yeah, I'd put on my EDM or whatever chill type of beat music I was doing. Post Malone was on the playlist for a long time because my youngest daughter took me to a Post Malone concert with her boyfriend and my wife, which was awesome. And but yeah, that's what we did, man. And we would, um, I mean, we'd spend like we get in our chairs, we'd spin around, and we talk about life. We talk about sales. We talk about the people we were trying to help, the customers that were. We were trying to land and we'd have these epic whiteboard sessions with this huge whiteboard in this one meeting room. And I think at one point we figured out how to fix world hunger and world peace in the same morning. That's and, how. And close, and
1: close deals. Close deals.
0: <laughs> the closing of the deals, what created world peace That's and the right. prosperity to solve world hunger. That's, That's the kind of stuff we were talking about. And it was super fun. I mean, Listen, last. I, we still will throw
1: down on an awesome whiteboard session. You know, one of the things that I've always admired about you that I've really taken on, I feel like when we initially met, I was raw. I had a lot of hunger. I'd been at Microsoft selling for about five years. And I was like, hey, I, I want to come to a startup. I want to learn how to be a badass sales professional. And I have aspirations of moving to leadership. And culture is really something that I cared about an absolute ton. And I think that's something you not only are really curious and innately wanting to learn more about and study, but you're naturally really good at all three of those things right there. Being a great sales professional, being a great leader. I can't tell you how many times we were at a crossroads within our company, or within our team, and Mark says, Hey, give me the mic. And you'd get on there. And I still remember one speech comparing John F. Kennedy's speech of going to the moon to <laughs> this, the journey that we were on at outreach. And that was a critical time for us. And it was that speech that inspired and changed the entire company of being like, Oh shit. Okay. This is where we're going. I'm following Mark wherever I go. And it created this culture too, that people felt like they were part of something bigger than themselves. i like sure they were down to, Making an absolute ton of money and move up in their career and feel growth. But it wasn't even about, that was just a byproduct of really saying, man, we're doing something good here. This is yeah. unique. This tastes different. And so I'm just curious, take me back. I mean, where did that come from? This just like natural hunger for being a great seller, leader, culture, and just how you, where you were before all of that that type of Mm, more
0: gospel there? That's a cool question, man. If I was to start with like kind of the leader inspirer thing and I go way back, I still remember in elementary school, me and my best buddy, Jason Wilcox, where for some reason we sat at the end of the long row of tables where your grade sat at this small rural school in Tennessee and we would hold court of what we were going to do that day in recess, who was going to be on whose kickball team, all that kind of stuff. And I still remember like we, we were really good about including a bunch of people. And I don't know if that was just because we were young and didn't make sense. Sometimes there's, it can be exclu- exclusionary in those, but I just remember that we weren't really like that. And I don't know if I just baked in a bunch of joy and feeling of meaningfulness around Doing that. And then when I moved in sixth grade in the middle of the year or seventh grade, in the middle of the year from Tennessee to Mississippi, I was all of a sudden one an outcast. I went to a small private school in Mississippi where everybody had been together since the beginning. All their families all knew each other. And I was an outsider. And I got thrown in with a group of people that I became great friends with and really appreciated my time there. And there's a lot of things that I attribute my success to because of that situation, like having a chip on my shoulder. But I got to experience the exact opposite of what I had been used to, which is in Tennessee, we all had fun together. We all did stuff together. We were all like friends with each other too. I couldn't figure out how to sit at the table with the people that seemed interesting to me. I couldn't figure it out. And so I felt super excluded. And I, as I experienced the opposite of that, I think that's where... I started to get really cemented in it. And I was in the band as a kid that might've had something to do with it, (laughs) that problem. (laughs) And uh, we had a competitive marching band that I was in and we were really good. And not only were we really good, we were smaller and we didn't have some of the resources as others. And in that situation, my role was to take people that weren't able to perform and figure out how to get them perform, And I think that Mm. I had, again, a group of three or four friends where we would just work with people, demand people get better in a positive way and help show them a path. And we won a lot of awards and did a lot of stuff through that. And I think that kind of helped set me up to the idea of you got to inspire and lead people and figure out how to get them out of their own heads and into how does the greater good and the bigger picture serve me as a person so that I can do things that I wouldn't be able to do without my attachment to that? And I, it's funny to say that about marching band. When you are in a group of 80 people and somebody's judging you on how straight every line is, how every step is in step, how every note sounds, how every crescendo or decrescendo feels, how everybody's horn, the angle, which would they hold their horn for 15 minutes is really important. You start, the details matter and you start to really understand that you can inspire people to do all of those things as long as there's something bigger
1: out there that they're after.
0: I've never been asked that question before. I think that's the answer now that I'm exploring it with you.
1: Yeah. That's a good answer. So it sounds like it it comes from you having that crew, right? You being part of something great just from an early childhood and then going on the flip side and saying, oh man, that's something that I took maybe for granted. And Hmm. I really enjoyed that. It made you feel part of it. I know, at least in my experience, one of the reasons why I love building teams, one of the reasons I love building great cultures is because I want to be part of a great team. (laughs) In a way, it's selfish, right? It's just like, I want to make people feel really happy and fulfilled at this this company and on this team, because that makes me feel really happy, feels me feel really seen makes yeah. me feel like I got people that have my back right there. And I think that that's a great example right there. And how has, it's funny too, just speaking to like each line being so dialed and each horn being at the right angle, because you are a person that you can talk very big picture. You can have these grand ideas. One could say you, you are a visionary leader and talk about what's happening in the future and One of the things I've always been so impressed with to use, you can go down into the details talking about Salesforce integration capability and the mapping of it. And I remember how many times have you tried to get me to use some sort of project management tool like Asana. I was just (laughs) like, man, Mark, you are in the details of this. And I think that's a unique gift of yours to go both big picture as well as down into the small details right there.
0: Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. Yeah, you know, I think some of it is a personality trait and maybe in some ways a flaw. Like, I do the same thing when I mow my grass. Like, I, I don't know if I'm the only high growth tech CRO that mows his own grass every Saturday, but like I do. And the reason is because the person I hired to mow my grass couldn't do it well enough. And the edging matters to me. The straightness of the line that the lawnmower leaves matters to me. Seeing like a couple blades of grass that don't get cut correctly. And like going back over, it matters to me. I don't know why. And sometimes it's like probably too much. I think my wife would tell you sometimes it's too much. But yeah, also as we're talking about the band stuff, I think there's a couple other things in there now is one is uh, that little group. We would go to otter bands and competitions individually as a group, like probably 10 or 12 of us out of 60 or 70 people. And we would run the table of the First chair percussionist, the first chair trombonist, the first chair saxophone person, the first, you know, one of the top three chair trumpets, the and we would just run the table, and it was not only was it this group thing that we were winning, like we would win as individuals, mm-hmm. and we would it just created this strut, the swagger, and we would walk into stuff and people, oh, there's the kids from Washington School, and that's because we just had this level of excellence, and so we would all just keep going, and I remember a couple of us had friends that played the same instrument so we would have to compete against each other and we were always even if we like i got first chair, my best buddy got third chair whatever we would still celebrate each other's win that created really something and then this is this one is super fun is i remember one day we were sitting in lunch and the jocks started banging on the band kids and they were like oh this and this and we were firing back and uh Eventually, they were like, we could kick your butt. We're like, all right, we'll we'll challenge you to your own game. We'll play football against you. And they're like, no, whatever. And so there was this huge thing that happened at lunch one day where there was this basketball or this tennis court, this deserted tennis court on campus. And you could go out there during lunch if you wanted to and hang out or whatever. So we're in high school and we organized this humongous jocks versus band geeks football game. And it was like touch and you had the little ball and stuff. Dude, we destroyed them. It wasn't even a contest. We won so bad. It was embarrassing for them. And then they tried to do it in tennis. We crushed them in tennis. And That was another thing of that chip on the shoulder. And you think something about me that isn't true, I'm going to prove you wrong. And so I think that's maybe one reason why I pay attention to the details too, is because I know that you lose in the details. And I think, I still think sometimes people are like, how did Mark get that job? Mark doesn't deserve that job. Mark shouldn't be in that role. Like he doesn't know what he's doing. And that ignites my band geek versus football player. I'm going to prove
1: you wrong. And done. once that's activated, I'm going to go down to the details if I have to win. You have the mindset of oh, you're underestimating me. Yeah. Okay. I got something to prove you. It's that okay. chip on your shoulder. That. And one of the things that you said that, that I really love is all those people who were first chairs in their respective instruments. They both you both respected each other, and you competed against each other right there. It, that's such a fine line that I feel like many sales teams or just teams in general struggle with. Uh, Yeah, sure we want everybody to succeed, but there can be that mindset that if, man, if somebody else is doing well and I'm not doing well, it's not necessarily just looking good for them. It's actually looking bad on me. And that Mm -hmm. that feeling can be a crack in the foundation. It can be a cancer within that team that can create resentment right there. So as you've now, you've built, I don't even know how many teams at this point. You've developed and created these Culture. You've been an exemplary leader. What's your leadership philosophy or what's your culture philosophy that, hey, you, you just started at Catalyst three or so months ago. What has been the driving force? They said, this is how I want to do this or the core principles in terms of how I build out teams and build cultures.
0: Yeah, I think you've helped me a ton There is. I don't know if I was, I think naturally I have some things as we've talked about that are can be inspiring, can be, I'm a positive person in general. I'm an optimistic person. I assume the best of people. And so that a lot of times can naturally lead to things that people enjoy in a culture. But I don't know if I was always as intentional about it as I needed to be. And you've definitely helped me with that a ton. But listen, I think that if the overall sentiment of people are positive and there's encouragement, that you're gonna do better. I fundamentally believe that people need to be inspired to do their best, not demanded to be their best. And if you can inspire Mm -hmm. somebody to be their best, then you are just giving them a little fuel, but it's their engine that's running. And when you tune someone's engine up and put the right fuel in it, like they can run for a long time and run faster and harder. But if I have to be the fuel and the engine and have to like make you do the things that you need to do, then that's not sustainable. And as you grow and scale teams, like you just can't build a culture that way that people, I don't think that people want to be a part of. I think that there's a like a talent line and people below that talent line need that. People mm. above that talent line resent it. And so I prefer to work with highly talented, smart people that I view as peers and friends not people that work for me, that are my employees, that I do a top-down approach to. And so I think that in order to have access to that talent, you have to have a culture that they enjoy and are drawn to. And so that's the first thing is just positive and encouraging. The other thing is, I think as a leader, my job is to spread my arms wide and to prevent the pressure from above me to come down into my org. Now, I'm not perfect at it. And there's some things that we create urgency around. And we there's some things that we, hey, we do apply a little pressure. But for the most part, my job is to keep you from feeling the pressure of the investors, of the C-suite, of whoever. And so I think that's another thing is I try to make it more fun than about pressure. I make it more about winning than about being scared to lose. And I think that's really an important part of what I do is, and I try to really celebrate stuff. I actually do get excited when somebody closes a small deal, just as much as a big deal. Like I just like personal victories and I like to see people get them and feel them. And so those are some things. I also think a critical part of cultures I'm in and something I'm, think I'm building a catalyst, something I know we had at outreach is there, there's just not a fear of talking about risk or admitting where you're bad because we're all bad at something, there's always risk that is going to be involved in certain deals or certain situations that are out of our control. But when people hold those secret, then they can't be helped and they eat them up and cause them to fail. I feel like I reward people and encourage people to be more open about what they feel risk around and what they feel like they don't do well. But the way I respond is I respond with thank you appreciation for sharing, telling them how valuable it is that they share that stuff. And then I respond with help and support in a positive, encouraging way. And I think you've seen me, Alex, like if somebody asks for something, I'll run and go get it for you. Yeah. So I think when you do that kind of stuff, I think that it. Um, those are some of the underpinnings of, of culture that I think are important to me.
1: This episode is brought to you by Alluvians. Alluvians is helping sales professionals and sales leaders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. Last year, we threw over four retreats and helped over 150 tech sales professionals, leaders, and founders. And next, we got it going on May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin, Texas area. So make sure you apply to alluvians.co to check it out for more. I see a new slogan coming through about not having a fear about talking about risk. There's something that that can be there that can be a rallying cry. And I know even in in forecast calls as a leader, oftentimes when we'd go in and speak, it became very common of, hey, I I love to talk about good news and people love that, but I also bring the bad news, so to speak, which is rebranded as the risk here. And that's just the job as the leader. I think that's great. And I love what you said, too, around the one thing that I think is unique about your level of leadership is your friend. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. I I think that's completely different than I think a lot of people have. Yes, people have camaraderie with their leader and they feel comfortable. But, you know, I, I truly do look at you as, yes, you are a mentor. Yes, you are a manager that I've had and that I will have in the future. Yes, you are just someone who I can look to, but friend first. And I think that underpins a very strong foundation for when we're in the trenches and we're going through mud and we're struggling Mm. and we're having to figure things out. When you come in and say, hey, we got to adjust something. There's just a different level of respect. And I don't think that's easy. And is that just part of your DNA or did you have something in your leadership journey that you've been working on that. Like that's been a thing that you really said, I want to be a friend in addition just to being a leader.
0: No, it
1: has become conscious.
0: I don't think it started consciously. I think it was, I just enjoy people just in general. And I think if you're a leader that doesn't enjoy people, you're always going to struggle. You can still be effective, but it's going to feel unnatural versus to me, like leadership feels natural because it's just, Hey, here's a group of my buddies. We're all friends one of us is going to figure out a great idea. Let's all put all of our effort behind that great idea. And then when it works, let's celebrate the person. And if it doesn't like next man up or next woman up, and let's find the next thing to do. And let's go after that. And we'll eventually get there. Right. And that to me is the way to do it. And I think that making sure people know that they're going to get credit for the things that they originated and worked on. And I'm not going to hog all that credit is a big part of that. But yeah, I, Listen, I just enjoy people, man. I want to have friends in my life. I want to have strong relationships. You know, I ask people to do some weird stuff and to rethink some common held knowledge and Mm -hmm. blow it up and try something different. And you just can't do that with people that aren't your friends because they think you're crazy or weird just doing stuff versus when you know me, you know what I'm after. I want your better thinking. I want your stamp on it. I don't want you to just like copy paste something. Now, if that gets the job done and you're cool with it, cool. But is there a better way? Is there a more fun way? My kids get out of the car. I coached all my kids up in all their sports, hundreds and hundreds of sports games and practices. Every time my kids leave the car, I would say, hey, work hard, have fun. That's my general philosophy. I work really hard. I get in this seat at 7 a.m. I work till 5.30 or 6 every single day. I don't have breaks in my schedule. I work, right? Now, I don't know if that's healthy or not. And I don't know if that approach works for everybody. But for me, I need to end the day knowing I worked hard. And then, But I don't want to work hard not having fun because that right. sucks. So I figure out how to make it have fun. I crack a joke. I'll be funny. i do whatever. And so for me, if you can work hard and have fun, then you're probably going to be okay. And I think mm-hmm. people... Look at that. And then I think those are the type of people that you want to be friends with. Look, they're putting in an effort and they're doing fun. Maybe if I attach to that person, I can have fun or work harder too. And ultimately, I think those are two things that a lot of people gravitate
1: towards. And I just, that's what I want in my life. So it's the work hard plus the having fun right there. And my experience of working with you and for you and building teams myself, I think the combination of those two is are you growing? Are you developing? There's nothing better than coming, and we've experienced this many times, of promoting a SDR into a first-time account executive closing and watching them figure it out, watching them learn the psychology of what it takes to do an initial meeting, how to do an effective demo, the frameworks of how to negotiate, and just seeing from others, learning from getting at bats. And it's just, even as I say, it's like my eyes get big. I'm like, man, we are getting better yeah and that's an unbelievable feeling and when you can tap a larger group of people into this like same type of mindset of yo guys let's get some freaking better here oh my god people are gonna work their ass off for that and those small wins are like this is working right here growth is like a double-edged sword
0: it can be very scary to people if it's forced or done with the wrong motivation and people can run from it or if it feels hard you could you could suggest that new year's resolutions are a good example like that's meant to grow people and change people and people don't do them because they don't feel safe doing them or they don't feel like they don't actually have their motivations the other side of the sword that cuts in a good way is safe growth when people feel safe to grow Mm. then I think it's addictive. And I think you and I have both experienced that in our lives. And I think we've led teams that have felt that. I think we've been part of teams that have helped that. I think that there's been times where we've grown, where people have helped us feel safe about it. And then we've helped others feel safe as they grow. And safe growth is a powerful, addictive thing. Because when you can look back and be like, wow, I've made progress. I think that most people really appreciate that.
1: Yeah, it goes back to what you're saying about the risk thing. Say, hey, guys, here's this thing that I don't know, or that I have never faced before that I think is a problem. Let's talk about it. Let's learn from each other. Let's have a powerful discussion around how to go about de-risking that or solving for that right there. And I think that's that safety that you speak of right there. That's that psychological safety and bringing who you are. And I'd be curious, as you look at yourself I mean, you've you've had an unbelievable what you're in your mid-40s and you've already had this incredible trajectory and you've been part of a company that you know very few people get to do in their lifetime and it's been a big part of you You building those teams and you're doing your courses now with andrew Muborn just to spread your good knowledge what are you doing it for what's your why As you work your ass off, and I think this is a cool time for you to maybe even share some of the, some of your projects that you're doing in addition to Catalyst and why are you doing them? Yeah. If I get like super honest,
0: I think my biggest why is I want to unlock a future for my wife and I, that is the future that we have really wanted for ourselves. We have four kids, three of our kids are older and just about to start their lives as adults, they're all in college. One of my my youngest daughters is actually about to become an SDR at Outreach. You know, we're flying around to Seattle. And I can think back in my life when my grandmother died and she left me $30,000. And I was able to pay off my student loans, my car loan, and a credit card. And what that did in my life, it changed our lives. Like we actually were able to get ahead versus all of our money going to pay debts. And I wouldn't say many of those debts were like based on luxury things. It was just living life and we couldn't get ahead. I still remember when my mother-in-law gave us $3,500 to replace the windows in our house because you could literally stand somewhere in our house and it felt like a Pennsylvania winter breeze was blowing through and how that cut our heating bills. I remember when in that same house, my aunt's boyfriend, who had no reason to do this, bought us a high efficiency furnace. And we went down and he came over to the house and we spent two days in the basement ripping out this old furnace from the 1920s and putting in, and he taught me how to install this furnace. We did it together and it made our heating bill go down from $600 a month down to $80 a month. And what that did for me and my family, and like those types of things, some of them are time, Like, I just want to give time and give of myself. A lot of those though are money. And there's places in your life where just a little infusion of cash or help makes such a huge difference in how you're feeling and the trajectory you're on. And so my wife and I really want to do that for our kids and our friends and our family. And so that's probably a big reason. And at the same time, we want to be able to go to the places we want to go. If, If our grandkids live in, Seattle, and we want to go to their basketball games, I want to be able to go to all their basketball games, even if I live in Pennsylvania. And so I think that's a a big factor. The other factor is back to enjoying people. I love to help people, man. There's nothing cooler to me than unlocking somebody. Mm-hmm. And I always remember people ask, you know, well, how'd you get into leadership? And I was like, one day I got tired of developing accounts and I started, and I desired to develop people. And what, once I really got a taste of what that was like, it, I was never going to go back. I could argue I might make more money and have more time if I went back to a sales job. I think my skills are still sharp and I can do the job, but that's not rewarding to me it's the development of people and unlocking people. And I think that almost every person I've ever met can be better than they think they can be if someone just shows them how to get to that person or think about that person that they didn't think that they could be. As you know, Alex, I was very involved in the church. I've pastored a ton of people uh, over the years. My views on religion and stuff have changed a lot over the years. But uh, when I did that, I discovered through tons and tons of sessions that most people have their own answers. They just aren't asking themselves the right questions or aren't brave enough to accept the answers that they know are right. And if you just encourage people and ask the right questions, they can usually solve their own problems. And that to me is like, so rewarding for someone to realize I knew the answer. I had it in me All I needed was just a little bit of advice, just a little bit of the right question, a little bit of encouragement. And like all of a sudden things changed for me. And that's that's my why I just I love that. I think it's the greatest thing to do. Mm -hmm. So uh, as you mentioned, I got a couple things I'm doing. I've been asked for years to have some courses and some teaching for people that on how to do stuff that I've taught people that work for me for years and coached
1: dozens and dozens of people to be top earners. I'm I'm kind of jealous, by the way, that you're just spreading all this good message that I have been able to gain from you just to everybody, by the way. I'm gonna be losing my competitive edge because this information is just gonna be spread to the world. I'm gonna,
0: I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I need to send you probably some royalty check, Kramer, because <laughs> you've probably contributed or influenced at least thirty percent of all those things. But uh, in all it. of our whiteboarding and experimentation, but yeah, you know me, man. I build frameworks and processes because I, I am a very forgetful person, and that's how I like to teach and remember things. And I'm putting those into some courses and sending them out so that you can get the stuff that I've been given and that i give to the people that work for me without having to like change your job and i'm really excited about what it's going to do it seems like it has some really great early momentum we'll see where it goes but i'm going to do some st- stuff that i've teamed up with my buddy andrew newborn that used to work for me and he's helping me with a lot of the logistical stuff so i can just concentrate on putting out high quality content
1: yeah i love what you say around sure you you want to be making money so you can live a certain type of lifestyle but you also want to help your friends make a ton of money as well and give them a certain type of lifestyle right there. I think that is admirable. And one of the things that I've seen you do countless times, it's like, when you learn something, your first thing that you love to do when you learn something is you get so energized, you get so excited. Oh man, I just learned this badass new thing about how to take someone through a sales process or how to do effective discovery. Or how to build out a whole customer success plus account executive plus SDR or whatever it might be. That's your way of teaching. I would say when you look at your priorities in your life, you know, between business, relationship, spiritual, different things like that, I would say a high priority for your life that you adhere to is teaching slash learning. You yourself are always teaching slash learning. And I think that's just testament to who you are. And it's like, you, there's never an end to you when it comes to the same old stuff. It might seem like the same thing that you're wanting to figure out and solve for, but you're always willing to poke holes in your previously conditioned views and up-level it in some yeah. type of way.
0: Yeah. I don't know if there's a perfect, but there's always a better. And I think that's the right approach is because when you think you have it perfect, then there's no reason to invest in being better. I think a lot of the things I do now are really good, but they could always be better. And I'm open to learning more and just, I have a natural curiosity. I think that's one of the great traits of an awesome salesperson is they're just naturally curious. I can think of interviews, like I'm sure you can, Alex, where the person lost the fact that they were in an interview because they just got so curious about the position or what was going on or into the conversation. And I'm kind of like that way, of how sales works, how people work, how the brain works. And so I'm just always putzing around in those areas. And when I find something cool, like I'm excited to share it with other people. Some of that is just to see is what I'm thinking crazy or does it make sense? And so some of it is just like a check, right? Like a quality assurance process to make sure. A trial balloon, right? (laughs) That's right. Yes. I've been accused of floating trial balloons in my career many times, but yeah, I do love to learn. I think learning is one of the awesome things about life. And if you learn something cool, why wouldn't you share it?
1: Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. As we look at the future for you, I mean, you've always had a, a powerful vision for yourself, and whether it be going to Catalyst, and you're saying some revolutionary stuff around how so much for technology and different types of companies need to be focused more on their customers and identifying how they're adopting. Their products, their tools, identifying upsell opportunities and greater opportunities for renewal. You have talked about your vision, at least to me, around supporting single moms and helping them get into sales and to be able to provide for their family. I guess when you think of your vision for yourself now, right? We talked about your why, and you know that this—these are my favorite conversations. <laughs> these are the six a.m. conversations, by the way. When you think about your vision for your future and where you are wanting to be moving towards. What can people get a bucket of popcorn and just watch the journey of Mark Cossiglough? What are they going to be? What are they (laughs) going to be seeing?
0: Yeah. I love to work. And so I would be kidding myself if I didn't have some of that vision wrapped up in my professional life. And I think that I did an unbelievable thing at outreach in the eight years I was there But that chip on my shoulder says, a lot of people think I just got lucky. I got lucky with a great product. I got lucky with a great time of moment in time. I got lucky with a great CEO. And all of those things are 100% true. But Outreach also got lucky because they hired a guy that could do it. And so I want to show that I can do what I've done in Outreach again. And so that's a big vision of mine is that Mark wasn't a one-hit wonder. Mark has a process, a system, a way of thinking that leads to success for companies. That's part of how I want to my vision to be or how people to view me that I know what I'm doing. I'd say the other thing is I want people to view me as generous. Generous in that like I tip the waitress 30 or 40%. Generous Mm -hmm. in that like when my kids need something, we figure out how to get it to them without spoiling them. You know, generous in that like I'll give my time and my knowledge to people if they ask. And I think that's one thing. And then Lastly, I hope people view me as like a humble kind of team player, like that I value the team, that I don't always think that my ideas are best, that it wasn't all my stuff that led to success and that other people were able to advance their careers and their lives because I gave them credit for the things that they were able to contribute to certain situations. And so uh, that's, those are like two or
1: three things Mm -hmm. that I think about a lot to try to manifest in my life. Yeah. I'm glad that was your answer because you are a workaholic in a good way. You still very much make time for your family. I envy the love that you have with your wife. It's an admirable thing that you and Julie have together. But I'm glad that you're going to continue to work because there are so many people out there in this world that will be able to receive (laughs) your way of living. Your both your leadership and also, I can't count with more than two hands of how many sales professionals at Outreach Are different now because of what you supported in creating, whether it was impacting them directly or developing the sales leaders under them or the processes under them to develop these people to not just learn how to be a great seller, but also how to be a great person and how to be excited and to learn. And now you're doing that at Catalyst. I'm assuming you will continue to do that in various types of ways as an advisor, mentor, CRO, maybe even one day you'll move into a CEO role and you'll be able to coach an absolute ton of people there. So I'm glad that's your answer. And I could never see you just checking out and sipping Mai Tais on a beach, although that would be nice too.
0: At some point, that'll be the norm, let's hope. And this hope that there's brief interludes of that along the way too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it, man. But yeah, you know, what? just one second to expand on my wife, Julie, is it is so important to have a partner In your life, that is your friend, is your love, is your support that gets onto you and grows you, that challenges you, that, you know, is interested in other things and exposes you to those things. And I am very lucky and super grateful that after 20, almost 25 years of marriage and probably 27 years of being together, that Julie and I's relationship isn't perfect but it is something that is really important to me and a huge reason why, like when I switched from a job where I was making a good living to working on a hundred percent at a startup out of Seattle on a hundred percent commission that she's the one that was like, go for it. What are you waiting for? You want to do it. And those type of things and having someone that's Like believes in you, it's really important. And some of us uh, struggle with our relationships like that. Some of us are still looking for them. Some of us have them and take them for granted. Some of us have them and appreciate them. And I would tell you that a huge part of my life and things that I have in my life that I think other people might call successful are the result of a very tight partnership with my life partner, who's my wife. And then that led to kids that are also wrapped up in that equation. Yeah. Find you a partner. That's what I think. Even if it's not your a spouse, there's somebody in your life, a mentor, a friend, or somebody that can just really be that for you. And I think it's super important.
1: Mm, well said, man. Well, hey, I just wanted to acknowledge you just for coming on here. I knew this conversation was gonna be good. I didn't even <laughs> need to really prep too much. I was like, whatever Mark and I start talking about, it's gonna go somewhere good. Thanks for showing up that way. Um And if you have not given Mark Koskalo a follow on LinkedIn, he is producing some good free content. And then if you want to get deeper with it, check out his courses that he's doing with Andrew Mewborn as well. And then I guess, Mark, any parting words of wisdom that you feel called to, to share with the listeners here?
0: Just this. If you close your mind, you close your life. You close your prospects. You close your relationships. And there's lots of ways to close your mind. It's thinking that you're right. It's your religion can close your mind. Your perspective or your bitterness can close your mind. And I think my biggest bit of advice to people would be like fight and struggle to keep your mind open and don't let fear and selfishness. And those types of things close your mind. Because once your mind's closed, you're on the downside of life. And as long as your mind's open, even if you're 100 years old, I think you're still climbing
1: up the mountain. Oh, yeah. It's a good life philosophy right there. And that's great parting words. And I think the embodiment of what you just spoke about in terms of how you live your lives. Mark, I honor you, my friend. I appreciate you. This is always wonderful. And listeners, thanks for hopping in. And hopefully you got a couple of good nuggets here. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Rising Leader Podcast. Make sure you hit that follow button so you get notified every time a new episode releases. If you know someone who wants to take their lives and their career to the next level, send them this episode so we can all rise together. For more information, check out alluvians.co. We'll see you next time. and In the meantime, keep letting it flow. This episode is brought to you by Alluviance. Alluviance is helping sales professionals, sales leaders, and founders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. In the past 12 months, we've thrown four retreats and impacted over 100 tech sales, leaders, founders I'm not just getting better at the craft, but really working on the inner game, gaining clarity on their vision, and also overcoming what's holding them back. The best part is you'll be doing it in an incredible community of high performers who are also trying to do the exact same thing. Our next immersion is going to be this May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin, Texas. And make sure you check out alluvians.co to apply there. Can't wait to see you.